5. Look with me, if you would, beginning down at verse number 7. The Bible says this, and there's a word that's repeated over and over there in these verses that you're going to find. It says this, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be also patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let's ask for the Lord's help this morning. And uh, and then we're going to dive into this passage together today. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to be able to open your word. And I ask now for a few moments you'd help us to bring our thoughts together and be able to focus on what your word has for us. Pray, God, you'd help me. Lord, you know that I, I need your, your help just like I need it every Sunday. And God, as I stand here this morning, I pray you give me clarity of thought, uh, that you touch my voice, help me, God, to be able to speak, Lord, clearly. And uh, may it be a message that would be a help to us today. God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture, God, and, and um, I pray, God, that it would be magnified and lifted up this morning so that everybody would be able to see you. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray, God, that you would encourage us and challenge us today in a way that only you can, and that they would get saved and accept you as their Savior if they don't know that already. And God, we thank you for what you're going to do, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the most dangerous things that you can pray is, uh, grow my patience. <laughs> uh, I know in, in my life... Um, I don't have to pray for it because uh, it just seems like the Lord knows it's something that needs to be grown, right? Uh, the Lord has a, has a way oftentimes in our life of helping us with growing our patience. He does something. He gives us uh, children, right? Or uh, he gives you uh, an animal or he gives you, you know, something like he, he, he puts things into your life that, that allows you to show just how impatient you really are. And uh, I've, I've found in my own life, you know, with, with the three kiddos that we have, finding out that, that patience is an area for some reason God feels like I continually need to grow in. And uh, you probably have experienced this. You've probably been there uh, where you find out that you're impatient. Well, the verses that we have before us this morning, six times in five verses, James addresses the matter of patience or, or endurance. But what can be so quick to miss is the context in which James is saying these verses and where he's talking about patience. Just a little bit of, uh, of understanding, and whenever you're reading the Scriptures, when you're studying God's Word, a way to understand the Word of God, as you look there in James chapter number 5, verse number 7, he says those first three words, Be patient, therefore. Anytime that you study the Scriptures and, and you see the word therefore, a great question to ask is, why is it therefore? <laughs> and so to understand why it's therefore is you have to go back and you have to look at the verses that immediately precede it. To understand the context of the passage, and as we talked about last week, he was discussing how these believers were being oppressed and they were being uh, really uh, put down, they were being attacked by the rich, those that had finances, those that were that that were wealthy and how they were coming after them in such a way of, of, uh, of uh, uh, coming to, to them and 
they were defrauding them of the money that they so rightfully deserved, the Bible tells us. In fact, they were going so far as to taking some of these believers, some of these people, and, and they were literally taking them to court. Some of them were being persecuted. Some of them were even being killed uh, for uh, by by these wealthy individuals. And and now, as with that that thought in mind, he comes to verse number seven and he says, "Be patient." Therefore, there's no doubt that revenge had to be on their minds. Uh, you've probably heard it said before. You may have even said it yourself. I don't get angry. I get even, right? You know, I mean, that's the, that's the, 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 the saying, the thought, right? But the reality is, is today we don't call getting even, even revenge because we know that the Bible doesn't support revenge. And so we, we wouldn't say that, that, that we're going to get revenge. No, we call it, uh, you know, we, we assign a Bible word to it. We're going to get justification, right? You know, that's, uh, that's the way that we do it. We, we, we justify it. I want justice in this situation where this person's wronged me. I want justice in this situation where this person wronged someone that I love. But instead of James emphasizing how we can get justice in the passage, instead of James pointing and saying, yes, you've been wronged by these wealthy individuals. Yes, you've been persecuted by these wealthy individuals. Yes, you, you, you've went through some very difficult things and, and you've been defrauded by these wealthy individuals. And instead of going through and saying, hey, listen, let me tell you how you can get revenge. Let me tell you how you can get justice for in your situation. Instead, James turns to a far more difficult subject. He says, let me teach you how to have patience when you face injustice. We don't like it, but we can swallow the pill of patience when it comes to waiting in the grocery line. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to uh, you know, the patience that it takes whenever you go to Walmart, all right? I mean, you want to test your Walmart, or your, your patience, just walk into Walmart and try to check out and, uh, and stand in line. Of course, you know, they've got, they've got all these beautiful sections where nobody ever stands at where they're supposed to check people out. No, you do it yourself. Yesterday, we went over to Winco, and, and, and I like Winco for a lot of different reasons and things like that, but uh, we, we walked up to the self-checkout there, and, and there we were in the, in the self-checkout line, and uh, they, I don't know what it is. I think Costco has the same deal, but you, you have to, it, it all measured by weight, all right? If you've been there, you understand this, okay? It's the most frustrating things in the world, and you scan something, and it says, all right, please bag the item, and you bag the item, and you go to do the next thing, and it says, please bag the item, and it's like it's in the bag, all right? It's right there, you know, and you move something around, and it says, please bag the item, and it's just like, oh, I was ready to tear my hair out yesterday, and, and Tressa was even, she was even angrier than I was. I mean, it was, uh, it was quite the experience, you know, uh, but as we're trying to check out at Winco, we're like, just take our money so we can leave, please. You know, it's already in the bag, you know, and, and uh, you know, you uh, standing there and waiting for it to process and things like that. that. That can be a difficult thing, but we can we can pray, and, 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 and as much as we don't like it, we can have patience in the grocery line. We can, we can train ourselves to be patient when someone's driving slowly in front of us, right? Um, you know, this is, uh, this is one of those moments where you, the road rage begins to build inside of us, right? You know, you're driving down the road and, and the guy in front of you is driving, you know, 50 miles an hour and it's an 80 mile per hour speed limit because we live in the greatest state in, in the United States and we have 80 mile per hour speed limits and, and uh, you know, and it's just like, ah, what's going on here? And you, you can get so frustrated in those moments but we can even train ourselves 
to have patience in those moments. We can fight hard to have patience when the preacher is preaching long on a Sunday morning, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's a battle, but, but, but we can get there. And, and while we can certainly pull application for all of those things from this passage, that's not specifically what James is talking about. No, James is dealing with specifically with something that is much more difficult. He's dealing with something that's, that's a lot harder to swallow, a lot harder to, to go through. He's dealing with patience in injustice, in injustice. Patience in the midst of persecution. Patience when you or someone you love has been wrongfully accused. Patience when those that, that we love were, were, would be brought before the judge, he says here, condemned and even murdered, he says in verse number 6. Patience in those situations. No, this patience was on a whole different level than simply being cut off on the highway. No, no, no. This patience was... So much more. Whose patience and injustice. And the biggest problem with this impatience is who it was directed at. It was impatience with God. What we're going to learn from what James says can be a powerful reminder and will pave the path for each of us to have patience even in the midst of greatest injustice. Because James gives us different temptations that we must avoid as we seek to be patient in the midst of injustice. How to have patience through those times where we've been wronged or someone we love has been wronged and how we desire justice and how we want to see justice delivered and yet James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records for us how we can have patience through those difficult situations and circumstances. So we see first of all in verses 7 and 8, the first temptation that he delivers to us is the temptation to take over. Look at verse number 7 again. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be also patient, Patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. In these verses that are in front of us, these first two verses, James reminds the readers of that day that the Lord's coming is just around the corner. He reminds them that, listen, that Jesus promised that whatever He went up to heaven, He said, listen, I will return. I will come back. And Jesus promised that one day when He comes back, all injustice will be made right. He will deal with all things that were done inappropriately. All injustice that has been done, He will make those things right. In Psalm 9, verses 7 and 10, we're reminded, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared His throne for judgment. And He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the, all the people uh, in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Be a great verse to memorize. Some great passages there to, to memorize. Listen, Jesus, God, listen, he, he's going to deal justice for the righteous. 
Whatever you've, you've done wrong, that's what he says here. He says there's coming a day when the Lord, yes, he's going to take away sorrow and pain. Yes, there's coming a day when he's going to wipe away all tears from her eyes. Yes, there's coming a day when he will, will rule and he will reign as, as king. And, and that day should be a comfort for every believer. But listen, it should also remind us that on that day, he will make all wrongs right. And as Christians, we know what the Bible says in Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Why? But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Here's the problem. It's not that we don't believe that God's going to take care of it. Our problem is that he doesn't do it on our timeline. See, we're, we're more than willing to put our situation in God's hands but leaving it there and not taking it back into our own hands. That's where the real struggle is. See, we think if God would deal out the judgment for the injustice right away, we wouldn't have a problem. But God doesn't work on our timeline. And when God delays bringing judgment, our response many times is to take justice into our own hands and to do it for ourselves. And that's exactly where we find ourselves in James 5, verse number 9, when he says, Grudge not one against the other, uh, brethren. Why? Lest ye be condemned. Hey, behold, the judge standeth at before the door. The word grudge there literally means to complain or to groan. Don't groan against someone else and what they've done. Don't complain about what someone else has done. The judge is out the door. He'll take care of it, he says. In my house right now, we are, are fighting a battle with our kids on not groaning whenever we tell them no. You understand, I mean, you, you've probably experienced this before, whenever you tell them, no, don't, we, you're not allowed to do that. Hey, stop hitting your sister. Hey, stop doing this. Hey, don't, and what, and, ugh. And we have to tell them, no, you don't respond that way. That's not the way that you act when you're told no. That's not the way that, that you're supposed to, to respond. You don't groan. Ugh. They may not all out say, no, mommy, no, daddy. They may not respond with, with verbal words, but they'll respond with a groan. Ugh. You know, and it's just like, oh my God, I'm going to show you. Ugh. You know, and it's, I mean, you, you kind of, that's the way that you feel. And, and we're trying to teach them not to do that. And I wondered in my mind, where did they get this from? Because I don't do that. I mean, come on, you know. Must be their mother. And, uh, you know, but <laughs> recently my parents uh, were able to take some old VHSs from whenever we were kids. I know I talked about VHS. It's kind of been the star the last couple weeks. But they took some old home videos that were on VHSs, and, and uh, they were able to, to digitally re, re, get them recorded and things, and they've sent us some. So we've been able to go back and, and watch some of them and, uh, and to look at videos from when I was a kid. And, and I've realized where the groaning came from. It was, uh, you know, it, I guess you could say what, what, comes, you know, what goes around does come around. You reap what you sow. And, uh, you know, I can, I can see videos of myself where, uh, you know, and it's just like, oh, that's, that's where that came from, you know. Uh, it, gr the groaning. In fact, the Bible tells us that the greatest sin that the children of Israel struggled with when they were on the backside of the desert for 40 years the thing more than anything 
was complaining, groaning. You know, I wonder how often God hears us groan over his timeline. Impatience in his dealing with injustice. How much complaining reaches his ears. In Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 14, it says, Do all things, very simply, without murmuring, groaning, and disputing. The truth is, is for most Christians, complaining is just a part of our lives. It's just what we do. It's normal. You probably did it this last week. I know I did. How many of you, you know, you woke up in the morning one day and you looked outside and you were like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> what is going on? Like, is this, it seemed like every morning I woke up this week and I looked out and I went, ugh, you know, just like, again, there's snow. It's just, is, are we ever going to get to summertime? And, and I've just, you know, how I've dealt with it is I, this last week I began to tell Tressa, listen, we're not doing summer this year. We're just skipping it. You know, we're just going straight back into winter, okay? And, uh, you know, I mean, it's so easy. It's just a part of our life to, uh, and just complain all the time. That's just, it's, it's become so natural for us. But when it comes to murmuring, murmuring and complaining over injustice, it's nothing short of impatience with God. And the temptation when all our focus is on injustice is for us to take over and to deliver justice ourselves. To become judge, jury, and executioner in the situation. And James warns of doing this as we saw in verse number 9. Hey, grudge not one against another lest ye be condemned. You'll condemn your own self. I've found too often in my own life that the giving end of dealing out justice whenever in judgment, whenever I do it myself, it leads you to realize that it was done in my flesh and now I have regrets. Friend, don't allow your impatience over injustice to lead you to taking over. Let God continue to be God in your injustice because the day is coming and he will deal with it and his justice is always perfect. So first temptation when it comes to impatience with God and patience in our situations when we've been wronged and injustice, the temptation is to take over for ourselves. But there's another temptation that we find here in verse number seven and it's just simply this, the temptation to stop. The temptation to stop. Look at verse number seven again. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. I, I love this. James gives us a, an example. He gives us the example of a husbandman or, or a farmer, as we would know it today. 
Tressa's family uh, has the property over in, in eastern Montana. And, and while it's primarily used for, the, the, uh, for their Angus beef cows, there, there's also a great deal of property that's used for farming, for growing plants and growing different type of, uh, of wheat and, and different things on their property. They have various machines that are used to plant seed across thousands of acres. And, and it takes days and days and days to get everything planted, uh, to get everything put into the field. And, and, and even before they start planting, there's a lot of prep work that goes in when it comes to the preparation of the ground and the tilling and things like that to get everything ready. But here's, here's the key. Once they plant the seed, they don't just walk away. They don't just leave it. No, that's not the end of it. What do they? They have more that they have to do. They have to come back, and then they have to spray for weeds, and and, and they have to, to to continue keep an eye on the field to make sure that things are are coming the way that it is, making sure that water is is getting to the field like it's supposed to. There, there's a lot of work that that takes place even after the seed has planted. Their whole world. There's a whole other world of work on a farm that's necessary, that goes beyond just the field that's planted. And one of the greatest temptations when it comes to this, this matter of, of patience, believing that patience means that we put our situation in God's hands, leave it there, but don't miss this, and then stop doing anything else. Listen, to become so focused on the field that we forget the farm. The farmer here, yes, he, he, he had patience when it came to planting the field, but don't forget this, he had so much more that he had to do as well. While he was waiting on the harvest from the seed that was planted, there was a lot more to the farm that he had to take care of. And so many Christians have become paralyzed by the fear of unknown in our life that we fail to do that which we know we're supposed to do for the Lord. We become so paralyzed by what's going to happen and waiting for God to deliver justice for us on our behalf that we just sit back and that's the only thing that we contemplate. It's the only thing that we focus on and we forget that God has given us so much more to do. Listen, don't miss the farm for the sake of the field. I love the story of Nehemiah. This, this last week, I, I found myself in my Bible reading in the book of Nehemiah and, and being reminded of some of the powerful, powerful stories that are, that are listed there in the passages of scriptures uh, that are contained in that book. Nehemiah, we know, was brokenhearted when he found that the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and, and the people, his people, were being afflicted and oppressed. And so Nehemiah made his way back to Jerusalem and we know the passage that they began constructing back up the wall. And it's a powerful passage and, and you read through it and they have uh, all these different groups of people in this family and this family and this family and this family and each one was to take their section of the wall and they were supposed to build up their section of the wall back to where it was supposed to be. And, and I, I love the story of Nehemiah. It's a great story. on It's a great example on, on leadership. It's a great example on persistence and it's a great example on patience. You see, 
as Nehemiah was constructing the wall, there were those that came along to resist it. Because anytime you try to do something for God, resistance is sure to follow. The Bible tells us Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, they all came together. And the Bible says that they conspired to fight and to hinder the work happening in Jerusalem. They tried to stop the building of the wall. Look what the Bible says in Nehemiah 4. It says in, in verse number 17, They which build it on the wall, and, and they with that bear burdens... With those that laid it, everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work, the building of the wall. And with the other hand, held a weapon. I love this. I mean, they, they were fighting the resistance that was coming with one hand, but they didn't stop doing their primary work with the other. Then you come over to chapter number 6, and now Sanballat and, and another fellow named Geshem, they, they, they come on the scene in, in Nehemiah chapter number 6, and, and it says this, that they, 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 sent, they were sent to, to, to Nehemiah, and they came to him, they said, come, let us, let us meet together in some one of the villages of the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief, Nehemiah says. I love what he says. He didn't come down off the wall himself. He sent a messenger unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Ye the, yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. See, Nehemiah, here he is, he's up, I mean, he's working on the wall, he's trying to build the wall, and, and here they come to him, hey, Nehemiah, come down, we, we want to talk about this, why don't you come over here to Ono, and, and, and we'll have a little, little powwow about what's going on here, and Nehemiah said, I'm not coming, he said, listen, I'm not coming down, in fact, hey, listen, go tell them to leave me alone, I'm busy, I, I'm busy about the Lord's work here, hey, go tell them that I, I don't have time to, to deal with this, this, this situation that they're trying to, to, to create here, he said, go tell them, no, I don't want anything to do, and they came back, and then they came back, and they came, and every time he said, Listen, I'm not getting off the wall. I've got something that God has led me to do. I'm not getting distracted away from it. He knew there was a greater work that was to be done. And you know, in the end, God worked out all the problems with those that were resisting Nehemiah. And he did it when Nehemiah continually stayed faithful doing the main work that God had called him to do. See, we can fall to the temptation of patiently waiting for God to work and forget that we're called to something far greater. Far greater. Did Nehemiah need to resist those men? Absolutely, he did. Did Nehemiah need to, to deal with the situation of these guys coming after him and, and trying to accuse him? Absolutely. That was something he had to do. But listen, there was something that was far more important than this situation over here. What God had led him to do. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. You see, there are so many Christians who have been patiently waiting for God to resolve their injustice while on the sidelines of the Christian life. Christian, don't forget about the farm because you're so focused on your field. Don't forget about the greater calling because you're so focused on this injustice here. It's a temptation that will come to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, I love, we, we, we read these verses, but we miss the whole context of the passage. Listen to what it says here in verse number 20. Now then, you're ambassadors for Christ. Hey, you're called to, to be a representative for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's said, be reconciled to for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that's the last verse of chapter number 5. But, but how many of you understand that, that the verses and the chapter headings and, and, and the verse numbers, they're not inspired by God. In fact, uh, I think it's kind of a bad place for this passage to end. Because verse number 1 goes on and says this, We then... As workers together with him. Oh, you mean the ambassadors? Oh yeah, he's continuing the thought here. Beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He goes on, giving no offense in anything. That the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God. Listen, in much patience... In afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. See, you are an ambassador for Christ, and as an ambassador for Christ, you will face afflictions. You will face distresses. You will face the times of necessities. And as you do it, you're supposed to do it with patience. But don't forget, you're an ambassador for Christ first. The day will come with justice, when justice will be served, and God never makes wrong judgment. But until that day, don't confuse patience with inactivity for Christ. Don't assume sitting here and waiting for God to make things right and dealing with those things by sitting and doing nothing for God. Don't, don't justify inactivity and disobedience to the commissions of Christ. Uh, uh, don't justify it and say, well, uh, listen, I'm just waiting on God to deliver out justice for me. No, 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 friend. As we said, don't forget the farm for the sake of the field. Don't stop building the wall because some oppression has come. Keep working the farm while you patiently wait for the field to produce. Don't fall the temptation to stop. Don't fall to the temptation to take over. Finally this morning we see in verses 10 and 11 the temptation of isolation. The temptation of isolation. Look at verse number 10. He says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. He says, You've heard the patience of Job. It's in the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. 
You know, these believers in James' day were just like us today. They, they weren't any different. When injustice came, discouragement set in. And the temptation to isolate began to take over. To believe I'm the only one to go through something like this. I'm the only one to be defrauded. I'm the only one to, 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 have, uh, the, 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 to be oppressed. I'm the only one to have my family taken and brought before the, the judge and, and, and to be falsely accused and then to, to be killed. I'm the only one to go through these things. And James snaps them out of that mindset by reminding them of the prophets who had endured patiently before them. I love what he says there in verse number, uh, verse number 11. He says, Behold, we count them happy which endured. The, the word happy there is the same word that Jesus used when he was giving his sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter number 5. You say, well, I don't remember him saying happy. Happy, or happy. When, when did he say that? Oh, he used a different word there. In, James cha or in Matthew chapter number 5, he used the word blessed. Remember, it's called the Beatitudes. He said this, blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, why? For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Hey, listen. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, happy, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Hey, what does he do here? Don't miss it. He reminds them. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? For great is your reward in, he in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. James pulls a chapter right out of the Lord's book, right out of Jesus' message and says, hey, listen, you think you're all alone in your suffering? Don't forget all the prophets that suffered so much more. That have been through the same things that you've been through. Don't forget you're not the only one. And we look at them and we say, man, happy are they. How blessed they are. Man, I look back on, on their name and all I can think about is all the way God used them. He says, don't forget, I have a way, God has a way of using your suffering to bring Himself glory so that others would look back on your life and say, blessed are they. But the temptation is so real to isolate. God, I'm the only one. James gives another example, the final example, the one that we discussed last week, the example of Job. After everything Job faced, he says, don't forget, Job lost everything. But in the end, God blessed him. And we look back on him and say, man, look at Job. Look how God blessed his life. Because he, he, what, he patiently Endured, the Bible says. 
Elijah just won the incredible victory. One of my favorite passages and stories in the Bible, 1 Kings chapter number 18, as he's there on Mount Carmel, and he calls down fire from heaven, and the fire consumes the altar and the wood and the water and everything right there. I mean, it was an incredible victory. Then he goes out and kills 400 prophets of Baal. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. I mean, just one of the great victory accounts in the scriptures. And then he looks over, and, and, and listen, for three and a half years, he, he had prayed, and there was no rain that fell from the earth. And, and, and he looks out, and he says, hey, he sends his, his servant over, and he says, go and look on, over on the hill, and, and let Ahab know that rain's a coming. And he looks, and he says, I don't see anything. And he comes back, and says, oh, go look again. Seven times he goes and looks, and finally he comes back, and he says, I see like it was a, a, a cloud, like, like a man's hand coming. And, and he says, listen, I hear the abundance of rain. It's coming. I mean, finally the drought has come to an end. And Elijah, you have to imagine as you come to the end of chapter number 18, he had to feel like, finally, things are set right. I mean, you remember when Ahab first saw Elijah, he looked at him and he said, you're the one that troubles Israel. I mean, Elijah, his name had been drugged through the dirt by the king. He'd been, I mean, he'd been falsely accused. Hey, you're the reason this has happened. Elijah looked at him and said, it's not me, it's your fault. I mean, it just, I mean, he had been through this. He had faced injustice in his life. And finally, justice was served. And then you turn the page to chapter number 19. And old Jezebel comes on the scene. <laughs> and she knows what happened, and she looks and says, listen, let my life be as the prophets if, if I don't take the life of Elijah before this day comes to an end. And now Elisha, I mean, I, I, just, I can just see it. He's like, really? I just, for three and a half years, it's been nothing but injustice, and then finally, I've been delivered, and now it's a, again, it's coming. What is going on? And in verse number four, it says he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a juniper tree. And, I mean, he was so low. He requested for himself that he might die. He said, it's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father. He said, I am just, I can't do it anymore. But God didn't just say, you know what, you're right, Elijah. Let's get rid of her, all right? That's not what he did. So Elijah, take a nap, eat some food, take some time. And then Elijah finds himself in a cage, in a cave, and, and God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says this, the isolation to me. I've been very for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars. They've slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even only I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. It's been nothing but injustice for me, God. I'm the only one trying to serve you anymore. I'm the only one that's, that's going through anything like this, God. Look at my life and what I've been going through. I thought everything was going to work out. I thought that, it, that you made things right. And now I'm just back right back in the middle of it again. God, what are you doing here? It's just me. I'm all 
alone. Nobody else is going through what I'm going through. Isolation because of injustice. And God didn't say, what, Elijah, you're right. You shouldn't have to go through this. Elijah, you're so smart. I should have done it your way. No, God had a different answer for Elijah. Verse number 15, the Lord said to him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And if you're sitting here and you're like, what is he talking about? You know what he's telling him? Here's what he's doing, okay? He looks, and you're going to see here. He looks and he says, Elijah, you want me just to take Jezebel and get rid of her. That's what you want me to do. But he says, Elijah, my plan is so much bigger than yours. Go now, anoint Haziel. And then he says this in verse number 16. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. He says, Elijah, I've got a plan. If you would just, just relax for a second and understand I'm still in control of everything and have some, some patience. I'm gonna, I want you to put this person in this point of power. I want you to put this person in this point of power. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, of Abel-Meholah, uh, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Heziel, so he's going to go out and he's going to get rid of all of these people that are, that are rebelling against me. He said, shall Jehu slay? And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. He says, listen, you want me to get rid of, of Jezebel? He said, just, just relax. I'm going to take care of the whole group, the whole tribe, every one of them. And he says, and by the way, just so you know, Elijah, I have 7,000 in Israel. All the knees which have not bowed to Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. You know what he tells him here? He says, Elijah, you want me to take care of Jezebel. Elijah, I'm not worried about Jezebel. In fact, I'll take care of her too. But listen, my plan's so much bigger. I'm not just going to take care of Jezebel. I'm going to take care of all these people. I'm going to take care of these wicked ones. I'm going to take care of all these that are oppressing the people of God. And he says, not just that. By the way, Elijah, just so you know, you're not alone. There's 7,000 others that are going through the same thing that you're going through. So Elijah, get up and get busy what I've called you to do. Just be patient. I've got a plan through this whole thing. And just so you know, you're not the only one going through injustice. When injustice comes to your life, well, do you find yourself isolated? I'm the only one. Nobody cares. Nobody knows. Can I just remind all of us, myself included, and maybe myself especially, <laughs> you aren't the first one to face injustice. And you won't be the last. And it won't be the last time. See, the only one who could accurately have made the claim of injustice hung on a cross and died for your sins and mine. But instead of crying out and saying, nobody knows, nobody cares, I'm the only one, he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Instead of crying out for injustice, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Instead of crying out for injustice, he said, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Yes, Jesus suffered injustice, and listen, he did it alone. I would never have to. Because the truth is this, while we think we face injustice, we have no idea what injustice actually is. Injustice is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, sinless, bearing my sin. That's what real injustice is. And yet he did it willingly so that you and I don't have to. So how can we avoid the temptation that comes with impatience with injustice? Well, Hebrews chapter number 12 gives us a great plan. He says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Hey, don't forget about the ones that have already been through it. In chapter number 11, as he goes through and he talks about Abraham and Moses, he talks about Abel, and he talks about all these people that, that went through difficulties and things like that, and yet through faith they, they, they obeyed God and they followed God. He gets to the end of the chapter and he says, hey, time would fail me to, to talk about some of these guys that, that did these things. And he said, but listen, there's some that, that didn't get deliverance, and, and yet they remained faithful. And, and, and he says, listen, with all of them in view, with all of them as a reminder, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does easily beset us. Don't miss it. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of God. Can I tell you, who suffered injustice? Consider Him that endured. There it is. Such contradiction of sinners against Himself. Ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Friend, choose today instead of taking control. Instead of choosing to, to stop serving God and, and focus on the field instead of the farm, instead of isolating yourself, instead run with patience the race that God has set in front of you and keep your eyes focused on the one who suffered injustice alone in your place. And as we remember that, listen, then we can start to understand what it means to have patience even through injustice. And that's one of the hardest things to do. But James gives us an example how to overcome the temptation. The temptations to fall to injustice. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to be able to open your word, to be able to study it for a few moments. And I pray, God, that this simple and yet very, very difficult truth, God, would be a reminder for us today. And I pray, God, that we'd be willing to submit to you, to your plan, and God, to be willing to have patience and not fall to these temptations 
in our own life. With heads bowed and with eyes closed this morning, we're going to have a time of response to the Lord, and maybe today you can honestly say, man, I just am struggling with this matter of having patience and injustice. I'm really battling it. And the truth is, I'm sure most of us are. We want to take control, deliver justice ourselves. Maybe say, you know, I've just been sitting on the sidelines for a while because my life's been consumed with this injustice. Maybe say, Kyle, I, I've, I've, I could say I am Elijah. And I've been isolating. God spoke to me today and tried to encourage me that, listen, I'm not the first, I'm not the last, I'm not the only. Jesus Christ is the only one that knows what that's like. Lord, help me to have patience even through injustice.